bringing you the latest in tax credit news. This is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, January 26, 2021. The Opportunity Zones incentive has led billions of dollars in investment for low-income communities since being enacted as part of tax reform at the end of 2017. Now is an especially exciting time for Opportunity Zones. We have new guidance from the IRS, provided COVID-19 relief. We also have a new administration marking the first transition of power since the incentive became law. And we're going to discuss these issues and more in today's podcast. We're fortunate enough to have joining me today, John Shreddy. He's a partner of mine in our Novogratz Dover, Ohio office. And John is the lead, as many of you know, of our Opportunity Zones practice and heads up the Opportunity Zones working group. If you've attended our Opportunity Zones conferences, you've seen John leading discussions about the incentive. He has a well-rounded perspective of the incentive, both as an accountant and consultant in Opportunity Zones, as well as someone who works with other stakeholders to help improve the incentive. Today, we're going to talk about a few different issues concerning Opportunity Zones. We're going to break our discussion down into four main areas. First, we're going to talk about the IRS guidance that was issued last week concerning several deadlines for qualified opportunity funds and other stakeholders in the incentive based on the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic. John and I will discuss what you need to know about that guidance, as well as other areas that need further clarification. Now, our second topic is going to be what we might expect from the Biden administration concerning opportunity zones, including suggestions submitted by the Opportunity Zones Working Group last month. Our third topic will be a special report that we'll be releasing soon on opportunity funds, including new information in the report and some big picture takeaways. And our last topic will be a brief discussion of the Novogratic Opportunity Zones Conference that's going to be held in April, including how you can register. So if you're ready, let's get started. So John, thank you again for being part of the podcast. We always appreciate you and you're on as a guest. The IRS, as you know, issued a notice last week providing relief for qualified opportunity funds and investors on several issues related to the COVID-19 pandemic. This notice came out just before President Biden took office. Now, this guidance was something that Novogratik and others had requested, and we were obviously all very pleased to see it. So for our listeners who haven't had a chance to review the guidance yet, please provide a brief summary as to the type of relief that was provided. Sure. Thanks, Mike. It's great to be here. And I want to thank you for having me here today. You know, you mentioned that I lead the Opportunity Zone Working Group. We actually requested that the IRS extend these deadlines. Actually, the original deadlines were in August of 2020. And we requested at that time that they provide these extensions And then, uh, you know, as the pandemic persisted, again, we asked that they extend them further. And so we we had six requests in that letter and they actually granted five of them. So we're very pleased to get these extensions or these further extensions. So you can thank the Novogratic Working Group for the recommendation. You know, the notice itself, it extends relief in five areas. First area is with respect to the 180-day investment requirement. Generally, taxpayers have 180 days to invest gains into a qualified opportunity fund. And if they do this, they're eligible for deferral and other opportunity zone benefits. The notice itself provides that the last day of this 180-day period falls on or after April 1st, 2020, and before March 31st, 2021, that the last day is now March 31st, 2021, regardless of how many days that was. Um, the last day can be considered March 31st, 2021. The prior notice extended this 180-day period to December 31st, 2020. So now it's March 31st, 2021. The second issue it addresses is the 30-month substantial improvement period. 
under the opportunity zone law, qualified opportunity zone business property must be purchased new, or if it's previously used, it needs to undergo substantial improvement. And this is defined as generally spending more than you purchased the property for, or if you had used the property less than depreciation. So it's adjusted basis that you have to spend more than. But generally, you have to spend more than you purchased the property for. Well, taxpayers generally have 30 months to exceed the purchase price of the property or for the adjusted basis, as I mentioned, in order to reach the substantial improvement. So what this extension does is it tolls the 30-month period from April 1st, 2020 through March 31st, 2021. So if you happen to purchase property in January 2020 and started improvements and along came the pandemic and you had to stop construction, let's say in April, you have until after March 31st to resume construction without losing the pace against the 30-month period. So again, that's a great relief and great extension as the pandemic persists. The third thing that the notice covers is relief around the 90% investment standard. Qualified opportunity funds must have 90% of their assets invested in what they call qualified opportunity zone property to avoid any penalties. And this 90% standard is generally measured by taking the average of the qualified opportunity zone property that a qualified opportunity fund owns at the end of June and at the end of December for a calendar year qual. That's how you do the test. It's an average. Well, the notice provide a relief that if the last day of a qual six months Month period falls within the period beginning April 1st, 2020 and ending again June 30th, 2021. If the last day of the first six month period falls in that period, then any penalties for failing this 90% test for the entire tax year are waived due to reasonable cause. It goes on to say that the relief is automatic, meaning that you're not required to ask the IRS for this relief. Although for some reason, they're asking taxpayers to compute the monthly penalty. I think they want to see what the penalty would have been, what they're waiving, maybe have sort of data for any folks that might be abusing the relief. But they do say that you figure this penalty out and put a zero in the penalty field. So the 90% test as a result of this relief is effectively turned off for all of 2021 for most QAFs, which is really generous of the IRS for QAFs that may be experienced and delays because of the pandemic. John, let me just interrupt briefly here. When you say most quaffs, you would say most quaffs that were in existence as of the beginning of 2021, but as a general rule would not apply to quaffs formed in 2021. Would you agree with that? That's correct, Mike. Your first six-month period could actually fall outside that date if you're a new quaff. And so it's not going to be you have to sort of pay attention to it. It's, it's not going to be relief for all quaffs. Some of the newer ones need to make sure that the first six-month period ends in that window. So the fourth area of relief is addresses the working capital safe harbor for opportunity zone businesses. And this is a complicated safe harbor, but the regulations, they give businesses time to become opportunity zone businesses. That's essentially what the benefit of this safe harbor is. But they have to satisfy certain requirements of the working capital safe harbor. Generally, the time that they have to satisfy the test is a 31-month period. And it's only if you have working capital assets. So it's only if you have, let's say, cash on hand from an investment of qualified opportunity fund. If you have these assets, you have sort of 31 months to become a qualified business and satisfy the test to become such a such a qualified business. And that test actually can be extended further. If you have additional tranches of capital, you can get another 31-month period, but no more than 62 months to use this capital and to satisfy the various tests because the safe harbor itself has related safe harbors, but you always have to be in this working capital safe harbor period. So the notice actually provides an additional 24 months if you need it, but no more than 24 months for all businesses that have these working capital assets intended to be covered by this working capital safe harbor. So it's very complicated, but the takeaway is you get more time if you need it, 
And the businesses that qualify for this additional time are those businesses that are actually in that safe harbor, in the working capital safe harbor before June 30th, 2021. So if, if you're a current startup qualified opportunity zone business and you're working towards, or you're within your safe harbor and you're working towards using the assets that you're building or, or using the assets that you purchased in a qualified business, you have more time to get there now, as long as you're in that safe harbor before June 30th, 2021. And then finally, Mike, the notice covers the additional 12-month reinvestment period. And all that is, is if a QAF actually receives a return of capital, um, they, have a, they have 12 months to reinvest this capital. And this notice provides that if, if that 12-month reinvestment period includes June 30th, 2020, they can receive an additional 12 months. So if they receive capital back from the business, let's say, and they don't have anywhere to put it, they have more time. They have 12 more months to reinvest that capital without running foul of their 90% test. So thank you, John. Now you said uh, how happy the Opportunity Zones Working Group members and us at Novogratik were to get these five, but you also mentioned that there were six requests. So there was one that the IRS remained silent on. Do you want to share with our listeners what that was briefly, knowing that they can reach out to us if they have more detailed questions? Absolutely. So we asked the question in our first request for relief and in our second request for relief that if a business has to change its plans, can it be considered reasonable cause with respect to the working capital safe harbor period? Now, let me step back a bit. On the working capital safe harbor, you actually have to document what you're going to do with these working capital assets and you have to be consistent with the plan that you had. If you're not consistent with the plan at the end of the day, then you were never in the working capital safe harbor and you could actually have a penalty as a result of having having this cash on hand or the business not being qualified during that period. So, you know, a number of businesses have to sort of pivot away from their original plan because of the pandemic. And the question has been asked by many businesses, you know, whether when they pivot the plan and maybe be a little inconsistent with their written plan, uh, is that reasonable cause that they can avoid any penalties or the QAF can avoid any penalties for not being qualified? We didn't receive an answer in this notice informally. We've discussed this with IRS and, you know, they seem to think it was reasonable, that it was reasonable cause. And so we're pretty comfortable that you would have a reasonable cause exception, but it'd be nice to have that in writing. Great. Thank you, John. That's a great summary of the guidance. And I'm sure some listeners are wondering what their next step should be as they assess the guidance. So if a listener manages a qualified opportunity fund or is an opportunity zones investor or, or is thinking about being one or is works with or is thinking of starting an opportunity zones business, three key categories, fund managers or fund operators, investors in funds, and those that are managing businesses or wanting to start up businesses, what should they do uh, after this, this podcast so they have additional questions? Well, I think they should punt to someone like me. <laughs> the clause rules are they're very complex and they traverse many areas of the tax code. So I always recommend that li listeners follow up with their tax advisor when they're trying to manage anything around opportunity zones and particularly one that practices in opportunity zone incentive area because it is a unique discipline. I know personally that our opportunity zone clients find comfort in knowing that we have their backs, Mike. And particularly, you know, when we're preparing financial forecasts for transactions on the front end, we've helped them adopt strategies to ensure that they satisfy or they're expected to satisfy opportunities of opportunity zone compliance. We also continue to monitor their compliance and make suggestions when planning and, and when preparing their year-end financial audits and their tax returns. I guess you can say we give them simplicity on the other side of complexity, Mike. I like that. 
Are there any of these extended deadlines that you found were particularly important to stakeholders? And I asked that question thinking, well, different ones are important to different stakeholders. <laughs> You're exactly right. I mean, I think I think the easy answer there is the 90% test is sort of a cure-all for all intentional, unintentional failures, you know, across the compliance spectrum. I say unintentional because you can't take advantage of that relief. But it's interesting. I, I had a, a situation where one of my clients actually missed the 180-day deadline due to a wire cutoff. And was concerned. And in other words, they they sent the wire the day of the last day of the year, but the wire cutoff caused them a little trouble. And they were sort of concerned whether they would still be considered within the uh, December 31st deadline. Now they don't have to worry because it was extended (laughs) to March. So to them, that was the most important one. (laughs) Yeah, understood. Understood. So you mentioned the Opportunity Zones Working Group had written a letter to the IRS in December about these provisions. Maybe you could share with the listeners what the working group is doing now and how listeners can get more involved with our working group. You know, the Opportunity Zone Working Group, we actually provide, a, would say, a platform for Opportunity Zone stakeholders to really work together and create consensus solutions around, first and foremost, the technical issues around how to use this incentive or how best to use this incentive. We also provide recommendations to government like IRS and Treasury on, you know, to make the Opportunity Zone incentive more efficient in attracting capital and also ultimately to deliver benefits to low-income communities. We also continually keep our members abreast of market trends and emerging issues. We were very instrumental during the rule writing process to get to the final regs. Many of our recommendations found their way in the final regulations. So that that was a great, great thing. We're going to continue to foster opportunities for our members and continue to provide them with this platform and have them discover through group consensus and sort of what I call herd mentality, how best to implement this incentive in their business strategies. You know, we continue to maintain leadership role by keeping abreast of emerging issues in the marketplace and providing input to, like I said, IRS and Treasury for shaping and Congress for shaping proposed legislation and rulemaking, including uh, some rulemaking that doesn't directly affect the incentive, like the recent CRA rulemaking process. We make many recommendations around that as well. So the listeners to the podcast can find out more about our working group, including how to join by visiting our Opportunity Zones Resource Center on our website. And I think Mike will refer to that later in the podcast. Or you can actually contact me directly, John Shiretti or Karen Destrol. Great. Uh, thank you, John. You can also just Google Novogratic Opportunity Zones Working Group, and it'll take you there as well. Uh, but I will include that in the show notes, and I will also uh, tweet it out. So with that, let's uh, take a shift, because this is another area where the Opportunity Zones Working Group is getting involved. Uh, so President Joe Biden did take office last week. How do you think a Biden administration is going to treat Opportunity Zones? Well, we have some idea. You know, President Biden's transition plan for racial equity includes reforming opportunity zones to fulfill their promise. So we're glad he didn't say to repeal opportunity zones. So I think he likes the incentive. He just wants to modify that incentive. President Biden's Build Back Better plan during the run up to the election, it provided a little color of how he might modify this incentive. In that plan, he said that he would incentivize opportunity funds to partner with nonprofit or community organizations and have a community benefit plan for each investment. He would also direct Treasury to review the opportunity zone benefits to ensure that they provide clear benefits to the community. And and finally, he would require detailed reporting and public disclosure on opportunity zone investments. So that gives us a little color around generally what he's interested in to make this incentive stronger and more in line with what it was intended to do. 
You know, earlier this month, month uh, we actually, the working group, when I say we, we sent a letter with recommendations to the Biden transition team, Mike. Yeah, and those uh, recommendations uh, included, you know, a lot of the concerns and opportunities that opportunities those working group members and us at Novogratic thought were worthy of consideration by the Biden administration. So why don't you share with the listeners some of the key areas of recommendations? We really can't go into the detail of each of them. So if you want to just give a really quick shot in terms of the key areas where you were providing guidance, and then I'll tweet out a link to the actual letter for those that would like to learn more about what these initial recommendations are, as well as those that want to share with us additional recommendations. Sure. So one of the recommendations we already discussed, it was to extend the COVID-19 relief deadlines, which, as we already discussed, happened last week. So that was good. And then other things that we addressed is recommendations around QAF certifications. You know, there's been some speculation that the Biden administration may modify the self-certification process, which is currently fairly simple and sort of generally limited to satisfying the basic statutory requirements. So our recommendations were that in the event that, you know, that the certification process is modified, that we keep it a self-certification process and that we allow established funds to be grandfathered. We think that's very important. We also think that they should scale back some of the requirements for smaller funds that, you know, may not be able to handle the burden. Also, we covered the area of decertification. You know, Mike, the regs themselves, they reserve rules for involuntary decertification. We haven't seen any rules yet, but they are reserved. So we may see these rules during the Biden administration. In the event we do, we encourage Treasury in our letter to, you know, make the rules very clear, very bright line rules so not so as to not impede investment. And also to limit the events to willful failure and neglect to comply with the rules. We also provided recommendations to increase investment in affordable housing and also to increase investment in operating business. And like Mike said, you can read our letter on our recommendations around those two issues. Right. Thank you, John. And I just want to emphasize the comments that we made with respect to stimulating investment in affordable rental housing, as well as operating businesses. Both those seem particularly important to me because one of the critiques of opportunity zones, if we don't do a better job of driving equity into operating businesses and real housing, is that it's doing supporting a lot of real estate, but not enough direct operating businesses and not enough investments that are serving low-income persons in uh, these uh, in opportunity zones. And both of these areas could really expand that and really are part of the promise uh, of opportunity zones. But while we're talking about investment <laughs> and the importance of investment, John, if you could share with our readers a little bit of a sneak preview into what's coming up. And we have this Novogratic Opportunities on the Best Report that'll be coming out in the next few weeks. And I want you to provide a brief preview. We don't have the report finalized, so we can't give specific uh, data. But if you want to share some initial thoughts or share with our listeners what we expect to be including in this report. Well, thanks for that, Mike. You know, Novogratic has been following Opportunity Funds since shortly after the incentive became law. We announced uh, significant milestones and updated the information publicly several times. But this report is something new. It's a full report on what we know as of December 31st, 2020. So in the past, we've reported, as you note, you know, aggregate equity raise in uh, opportunity funds. And the report itself is from those funds that are out actively raising money from you know, third-party investors, not those that are raising funds that are all within sort of family and friends, if you will. And the most recent data was $12 billion, and the updated number will be coming out soon. In terms of new information, what new information should listeners be expecting to find in this report that hasn't been in our prior releases? 
in past reports, we sort of reported in the aggregate. This report, we're going to get a little more granular. One of the things that we're going to be releasing is a list of top 20 states and top 40 cities for investment. We also report on how much equity has been raised by funds at different sizes. For instance, what percentage of the total equity raised has been raised by funds of $100 million or more? We're also going to report on historic trends. So you can see, for instance, how investment in residential properties or operating businesses had changed over time. So speaking of some of the trends, can you give any indication as to what some of the trends have been identified while we don't have the specific amounts yet? You know, the investment total, I'll tell you, did meet another milestone. But you'll have to wait to hear the milestone number. Many of the trends are a continuation of what you've seen over the life of the incentive. But we're also seeing some changes occurring as investment furthers along. I think the people or the listeners will find the cities and states information very fascinating. The cities and states with the most investment are not necessarily what you think they would be. Yeah, I've definitely been surprised by some cities that end up appearing. Others aren't as much of a surprise. And oftentimes the order of the cities is a surprise. So the, uh, this report's also going to include an opportunity funds list. We have one on the website, but the report's also going to have a printed list as well as a link to the more detailed information. What is going to be in that list that uh, listeners can't actually find who are just going to our website? Well, I'll tell you that virtually all the funds on our website are included in the report, but we also use a variety of other ways to collect information. We collect information from press releases, SEC filings, and other announcements. So again, the funds on our website are a subset of all the funds in the report. Of course, we're reporting on just the opportunity funds, as you know, because of the nature of the incentive, all investment is not made public. So we don't have private funds, proprietary information, or funds that are owned and managed by principal investors. That information is not accessible. We also continue to survey more and more funds all the time, which is why the number of funds that we're tracking continues to grow. So the report provides more data to help folks understand the results of the incentive. And I think you're going to find it very useful. Uh, Thank you, John. I'm excited to know that this report is coming out soon. I'm looking forward to a detailed review and discussion with others about it. Uh, For our listeners, the report will be available for purchase on our website soon, and I'll tweet out a link when that happens. We'll also be writing a blog post that includes many of the highlights of the report when we release it. Uh, Any other key takeaways, John, you wanted to share before we go on to our fourth and final topic? I guess I'll say that we know that the investment in the number of funds continues to grow at a steady rate, which is great. And we also know that some cities and states seem to have found some ways to increase investment, which is in the report. That also means that investors might discover some areas that have greater demand for investment. Now let's go on to our fourth topic, uh, and that has to do with something that's coming up in April, and that's the Novogratz Opportunity Zones Conference. What can you tell us, John, about that conference? Well, the conference itself is scheduled for April 22nd and 23rd in Long Beach. And although it's possible uh, that it will just be virtual, depending on where we are with the pandemic, it will be available virtually no matter what. Yeah, I was going to say we're, uh, it's definitely originally scheduled to be a in-person slash virtual event. <laughs> and depending upon where we are with COVID-19, the in-person may not be a reality. It may be merely a virtual event. Uh, but nonetheless, and we've had great virtual events uh, in the past. And if it ends up being virtual only, then uh, we'll still have a great event. And if it can turn out to have some level of in-person participation, that'll be wonderful. I would encourage those attending to register early because if it is an in-person event in part, it'll be a limited attendance, I am certain. 
Thank you again, John. I really appreciate you joining us here today, particularly as we head into busy season. I know you're very busy with your tax and audit work and along with all your investor consulting and advisory services with Opportunity Zones and new market tax credits and the rest. So having a little bit of your time here, a lot of your time here, it's really appreciated. And as I promised to our listeners, I will tweet out the information on the Opportunity Funds Investor Report when it's ready, as well as notes and links to the show notes for today's podcast, as well as other items that I earlier promised to be tweeting out and linking to. And please, if you want to know more about the Opportunity Zones Working Group, please reach out to John or just Google search Novogratic Opportunity Zones Working Group. I also want to turn to next week's podcast and give you a brief uh, idea as to what we're going to be discussing. We're going to have Amy Hook joining us. She's Novogratz's Chief Social Impact Officer. And during the podcast, we're going to discuss the importance of advancing social and economic benefits at an organizational level. I think you're going to find Amy interesting and very insightful on a subject matter that affects virtually every organization and is really relevant in society today. So please tune in next week for that. Also, as I say most weeks, be sure that you're subscribed to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast so that you're notified as soon as new episodes are posted. Tax Credit Tuesday is available to stream at www.novaco.com slash podcast. And we're also on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcast, Stitcher, and Radio Public. And if there's another podcast distribution that we're not on that you think we should be, send me an email or tweet it out to me. That's it for now. I'm Michael Novogratik. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik and Company, LLP. Archived podcasts are available online at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. You can find related links referenced in this podcast in our show notes at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast. Novogratik and Company LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com.